This is HPR episode 2400 entitled, My Commute Into Work. It is hosted by Fellow and is about 37 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, in this episode, Dave records an episode across his entire commute into work. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Well, hello. My name is Dave, the Lovebug, and you could be listening to this in one of two places. So, I'm going to be publishing this to my anchor station uh, this morning, this morning being Friday the 15th of September. I'm also going to be posting this as an episode to Hacker Public Radio. Um, In a response to episode 2377, of Hacker Public Radio where Mr X um, drove into work and recorded his commute uh, I thought I would do the same Um, and it actually kind of falls in line with something that I said I was going to do on Anchor a couple of days ago where I said I was going to record my entire commute into work so all is good all is good so um, if you're listening on HPR and you've never heard of Anchor, then you can find my Anchor station over at thelovebug.org forward slash Anchor. If you're on Anchor and you've never heard of Pub- Hacker Public Radio, then you can find my profile on, or my correspondent page, should I say, on Hacker Public Radio at thelovebug.org slash HPR. So um, in terms of uh, Hacker Public Radio, I did a little bit of, uh, of looking back as to how prolific I've been with recording episodes for HPR, and it looks as though I'm doing this at exactly the right moment. Now, the general um, understanding, expectation, rule is that as a correspondent, you should record one episode at least once a year. Now, there are some people who record significantly more frequently than that, and there are other correspondents that record significantly less frequently than that. But looking at my history, I have only recorded two episodes. I have appeared on others, but as a correspondent, I have only ever recorded two episodes. One um, was episode 1890, 1890, which was entitled A Short Walk... Shut up. A Short Walk With My Son. Uh, That was back in October of 2015. And uh, that was me walking back from 
church with my son on a Saturday morning, uh, which I believe ended with me bumping him up the front steps at my house in his pushchair, uh, which he found incredibly funny. Um, my second episode for HBR was episode 2117, 2117 um, which was a What's in My Bag for Podcrawl, which I recorded back in September of 2016. Oh, stop making that horrible noise. There we go. Um, where I detailed in quite nauseating detail and also on video um, what I was taking to Podcrawl in the way of technology. Uh, amusingly, the majority of which I didn't actually use. So, <clears throat> October 2015, September 2016, it's now September 2017, so I am absolutely ripe for recording this for HPR. So, I'm recording this on uh, my work Samsung Galaxy A5 um, with a newer NWEWER. Lavalier, Lavalier, sorry, not Lavalier, Lavalier mic, uh, as recommended very frequently by Jonathan Culp. Um, I have used, right, this, I'm going to have to put windscreen wipers on and you're going to get the squeaky noise all the time, so hopefully it's not too bad. Um, yeah, he's used it pr- prolifically on his HPR recordings and I've done a couple of recordings um, on Anchor using it. Uh, recording using the Orphonic Edit Android app um, as a recorder. Uh, two reasons for that. Firstly, because it's damn good recording software. Uh, and secondly, is I am going to run this through Orphonic as a web service to clean up the audio before I publish it to both of the locations where it's going to be ultimately sent to. Um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, so I'm going to mention it again. Um, I do have uh, a number of options available to me for recording podcasts on the go Um, so this is one of them the lapel mic with one or more of my um, my portable devices be it my my work phone my phone or um, or my tablet (coughs) Uh, but I also have the um the portable podcasting setup that I created that I used on Wednesday evening to record a conversation with my son Alex uh, which I posted to Anchor on Wednesday evening. If you're on Anchor have a look at my um, my episodes and you'll see one they're called Sat on My Doorstep Episode 1 uh, <laughs> Yes So the setup there is my um, my uh, Google Pixel C tablet with a USB-C to um, USB-A on-the-go adapter uh, in which I then plug my USB microphone um, uh, audio tech no it's not an audio technica it's a Samsung 2Q ah Q2U Samsung Q2U which I have mentioned on HPR before um, it's the equivalent of the audio technica to 2100 USB um, which is a USB and an XLR mic and it's actually the microphone that I use um, in my studio for podcasting and uh, doing the podcast each week Uh, so it's a very very good and incredibly good value for money microphone 
um, and even some of the uh, professional podcasters like Daniel J. Lewis of um, the Audacity to Podcast uh, recommends the Audio Technica 2100 USB as a good um, a good po- podcasting mic, particularly for those people on a budget. Um, we don't monet- monetize any of our podcasting activities, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, good value for money, stroke budget works for me. So yeah, um, when I'm out and about and I'm doing podcasting, that'll be the setup I use. So a tablet, the adapter, USB microphone, and I'll record into the Euphonic Edit app as well. So yeah, it is all good. Um, yeah, Mr. X, um, when he did his episode a few days ago on HPR, he was talking about the cars that... Uh, that he's had in the past, he's got he had two Ford Focus, two Ford Foci. Um, um, but I've actually had a huge number of cars uh, in the past. I first passed my driving test in I think it was 1997 um, at the ripe old age of 24. Um, I was very late starting to drive. I didn't see the point in it. I didn't see the necessity in it, um, so I didn't bother. But um, when I did learn to drive, it was one of those kind of eureka moments. Wow, I can drive, I can move myself around, I am going to drive absolutely everywhere. And I remember when I first passed my driving test and bought my first car, um, I used to go out at lunchtime uh, from work and just go and drive around for three quarters of an hour uh, because I could. But uh, yeah, my first car uh, was a red Mark I Ford Fiesta. Uh, I believe it was a V... Um, suffixed registration plate which would have placed it in 1979 Uh, VWX yeah I'm sure it was a V it was a 1.1 economy Uh, now obviously the word economy means utterly gutless Uh, I really struggled to to get any particular performance out of that vehicle although just anecdotally I had a, a really amusing situation when I had that car um, you could find yourself foot to the floor following wind downhill and you still wouldn't be going more than about 50-55 miles an hour in it but I remember driving down the A3 near Guildford in Surrey in the south of England <coughs> and uh, I didn't even bother looking at the speedo because I knew that my car wasn't capable of going over 60 miles an hour anyway so I just you know what I thought, bombing down the, the A3 um, Guildford Cathedral in the uh, in the distance. I remember the, the day very clearly. And there's a, uh, a services a petrol station. Um, and as I was coming up to that, I kind of looked down to see you know, if I needed fuel. And I noticed that my speedo said 100 miles an hour. I'm like, there is no way in the world that this car is doing 100 miles an hour. Um, so I, I kind of slowed down a bit and I thought this is really really slow and I, look, I noticed that I, I needed fuel anyway so I went to the petrol station and uh, I stopped um, at the petrol pump just about to get out of the car I looked down at the speedo and it said 40 so <laughs> what had actually happened is I must have gone um, past the point of 12 o'clock on the speedometer and the speedo needle had slipped <laughs> 40 miles an hour ahead of itself and um, 
uh, yeah, basically said it was I was doing 100 miles an hour and I wasn't. I was doing 60, which was incredibly disappointing and yet somewhat relieving at the same time. I don't think my car would have uh, would have coped with the concept of going 100 miles an hour without bits falling off it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so my second car after that was a Austin Mini Metro 1.3. It was a metallic blue. Um, and I remember vividly after I'd switched to that car um, that because obviously I'd been used to having to make the car work with my old Ford Fiesta because it was so gutless um, that the first time I tried to execute an overtake on a um, on a dual carriageway I nearly went into the vehicle the back of the vehicle I was trying to overtake because going from a 1.1 gutless wonder to a 1.3 and admittedly it wasn't a particularly powerful 1.3 it was significantly more powerful than the one I had before uh, so I had to kind of very quickly adjust my expectations of the vehicle that I was driving so I didn't crash it uh, but that was, it wasn't a bad car I mean anybody who's driven a Mini Metro in the past will know they're not exactly the most um, aesthetically pleasing or desirable cars but to me it was uh, it was it was quite something the car I had after that was my pride and joy uh, it was a uh, Suzuki Swift um, L plate so L prefix in the UK which means it was from 1991 um, this would have been about 99 2000 I got that car and it was gorgeous. It was a 1.4. It wasn't particularly um, high spec, so it was fairly. Uh, what's the word? In fact, no, it would have, it would have been earlier than 1990, uh, 1999. Um, so yeah, it wasn't particularly high spec. It wasn't the, the interior wasn't very well kitted out, but it was a gorgeous car. It was gorgeous to drive. It was good to look at. It was dark blue uh, Suzuki Swift, and I loved it. Um, unfortunately, around about that time of my life, I entered into financial difficulties. Um, and because the vehicle itself was on finance, I was forced, basically, um, voluntarily, admittedly, um, to return the vehicle to its uh, rightful owner, which was the finance company. So a little bit of a dark situation there, both in sort of terms of my personal life at the time and also the fact that I had to give up what was essentially a beautiful car. Um, after that, uh, I had another Mini Metro. It was a one, a one litre uh, Mini Metro on a D plate, which would have been 1986 um, registered car. <coughs> um, and it was, it was actually my mum's, it was her car, which uh, she uh, gave to me, actually. But it wouldn't have got much on the, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, part exchange or, or private sale because it was, you know, an old car it wasn't particularly um, powerful but it was a car, it got me around uh, so I was happy with it. it it did exactly what it was supposed to do um, but uh, I had that, I'm trying to think how long I had that for um, I think I must have driven it for a good, a good year, year and a half before I ended up um, replacing it 
uh, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm doing this from memory and my my chronology of this this next set of cars is a little bit um, a little bit hazy. I believe that the next car I had after that was a company car um, through work because I was actually acting as um, customer services manager at the time. So I had a, um, a company car uh, which was a white Ford Cavalier, uh, which to me was a tank because having had two Mini Metros, a Ford Fiesta and a Suzuki Swift, I've been used to small cars. Uh, and as we go through the remainder of this chronology, you will appreciate <coughs> that I am very much used to smaller cars. Um, so, yeah, moving on from that, I believe the next car I had was a, a Peugeot 205. Um, Peugeot 205... Oh, crumbs, what was the designation? It was a 1.4. It was beautiful. It was a red. Uh, I think it was an XSI um, in, on, a, on an F plate, so 1998 uh, F prefix registration plate in the UK. Uh, now, that was the car that, well, my second car that I actually intended to keep for life. Uh, beautiful car. It drove like a dream. It was responsive. It was very, very uh, pokey. Uh, well, both in size and in performance, uh, and yeah, that would have been the car I would have I would have kept. And unfortunately, through circumstances outside of my control, that car was um, quite rudely taken away from me. Uh, it was a, a very um, uh, cold and icy night. Uh, the car was parked on a side road where it had been for you know six nine months previous. Um, someone came round the corner at the dead of night. I was asleep in bed um, and misjudged it, skidded, smashed into the car, wrote it off. So absolutely gutted about that um, because, like I say, that, that was the car that I intended to keep. <coughs> After that, um, it was kind of an emergency search for a new car. Uh, and there was a friend of ours... Uh, there's a lesson to be learned here. There was a friend of ours who had just um, were looking to get rid of their Peugeot 205, uh, and I thought, okay, well, it's a 205. You know, where, I can't go wrong with that. So um, I bought it. It was incredibly good value for money, and now I know why. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, I can't remember the, the the registration plate. It might have been C, uh, which would have been a 19. 1985 plate. Uh, oh no, it was. Oh, blimey, I can't remember now. No, it was 1980s anyway. Um, 206. The designation was something R. Um, it was a 1.3 non injection. Um, and it wasn't that nice a car at all. It was white. It needed a lot of attention. Um, the, the engine mounting went on it uh, at one point, so when accelerating away from the standstill, uh, I found the, there was a huge click coming from the engine bay, and that's basically where the mounting had broken, and it was uh, shifting from below the mounting to above the mounting, where the engine was physically moving, so a little bit scary. Um, but the car had a number of problems with it, uh, not least of which was um, it, the thermostat went, so it would overheat at, uh, at a moment's notice. 
So I uh, called the AA out, AA out, the Automobile Association uh, that I was a member of at the time, and they just said, look, we'll take the thermostat out um, and just be aware that you've got no temperature control on the, uh, on the engine. Anyway, got rid of that um, and switched to my first diesel car, actually. Um, it was a K-registered, which would have been 1990, um, diesel 1.7 diesel, uh, red Vauxhall Astra. That was a nice car, actually. Um, first diesel car I owned. Very, very much, uh, very different experience to drive um, a, a diesel car for the first time. But you know, you kind of adapt to these things, learn the the different foibles of of, of, of driving and how the engine responds to you when you uh, when you drive it. Um, had a weird quirk in that the air intake for the engine was really really close to the ground, so I was always advised if you're going to go through a puddle, go through incredibly slowly. Um, otherwise, the air intake will basically suck up the water from the from the road uh, into the engine, and, and boom, you'd uh, you'd break your engine. Um, unfortunately, that car, although it was was a good car, it was reliable. I really enjoyed driving it. Um, it had a fault that I wasn't aware of um, in terms of the oil. Uh, there was an oil leak, and if you'd ever known or ever ever had a, a diesel, you'd know that having oil in the in the car is absolutely critical um, because of how the the engine works. Um, I mean, yeah, okay, it's critical to have oil in any engine, but more so in a diesel. So um, we didn't realise it. We uh, in 2003 we went to uh, to buy a new car. Uh, we still didn't have kids by this point. Um, we went to Carcraft in Sheffield, it's like a huge car supermarket, um, and bought our first family car, which was a blue. Peugeot 206 on a Y plate, which would have been 20, uh, 2001, 2001, um, and we actually learned because we I remember this clearly. We bought it on the 29th of March 2003. Uh, the car was registered on the 29th of March 2001, so we actually bought the car on its on its second birthday, which we took as a as a good omen. Uh, don't know whether it was or not, um, but we exchanged the old uh, Vauxhall Astra. Um, we uh, exchanged, put it out in this part, part exchange and when they took the car which they took without question they said to us we really don't know how you drove this car here because it was imminently to fail because of the, the oil leak um, engine failure was, was absolutely imminent and uh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't pick that up when driving the car in at all I didn't pick up that there was any problem with it whatsoever um, so yeah, we were quite lucky to get rid of it. So yeah, we had this um, this uh, Peugeot 206, beautiful three-door um, metallic blue vehicle, which we had for a good number of years, and uh, it was uh, it was a lovely car. I loved driving it. it had all the mod cons, um, electric windows. Uh, had a did it have a sunroof? Yes, it had a sunroof. Um, it had. No, it didn't have a sunroof. Sorry, my apologies. Um, but it did have climate control, air conditioning, and a decent stereo system. It, oh, no, it, it was lovely. Um, unfortunately, it started to generate... Uh, sorry, to, to, to display issues uh, to do with the engine management system. And when we moved up to uh, South Yorkshire, where we're living now, we took it to a garage that we, we trusted. 
um, and they replaced so many parts on it they did a lot of work on it most of the work they did for us they didn't charge us for because they recognised that the work that they had done didn't actually make any difference so they didn't charge us which I think is incredible customer service uh, it goes without saying that you know we still use that garage now you know 14 years later um, no, they've, they've been great for us uh, so yeah we had to get rid of it um, but it was around about around this time we actually became a two car family um, and I need to try and work out exactly what the chronology was here um, and I'm going to get this wrong I know but over the next few years we kind of flitted between a number of vehicles so I'm pretty certain the next car I got after the um, the 206 is a Vauxhall Vectra Estate which is on a V play a V prefix which would have been 1999 um, registration that is not the, the, the year um, and that was actually given to us by my stepdad because he realised that we were having problems with our current car he basically donated that car to us which was incredibly generous of him um, but I think under the same circumstances had he tried to uh, part exchange that or, or do a private sale he wouldn't have got much cash for it anyway so he figured that you know donating it to somebody who could make use of it would be um, <clears throat> would be beneficial so yeah that was a good car it was an automatic estate um, beneficial for so many reasons I mean it was the first automatic I had the first automatic that, that the wife drove um, so she actually used it um, primarily we, we only had one car at the time so I think Caroline was doing um, public transport to work most of the time and I had it for commuting into Nottingham. I was still working in Nottingham City at the time, which was a 45-minute uh, commute. Um, sorry, I'm behind a very, very slow transit van. Uh, so I had that primarily and then I then went out and bought a Nissan Almira. Um, I can't remember the license plate on it. Excuse me, I'm doing an overtake that I probably shouldn't. There we go. Um, yeah, I had an, a, a red Nissan Almira, which I think was on uh, an L, a K plate, uh, K registered uh, Nissan Almira. So then we went back up to a two car family. So Caroline had the Vector Estate, I had the Almira, and you know, it all was, uh, all was gravy. Um, and then I can't remember which, which car went first, but um, we went through uh, another series of vehicles. So um, I think the Almira was replaced by... Um, oh, do you know, I can't remember which way around it was. Anyway, we, we lost the... Um, over time, we lost the Almira and the, um, the Vectra. Uh, we got rid of both of them because they both started uh, uh, displaying issues. Um, Caroline, at one point, she ended up with a red Vauxhall Corsa, um, which she just couldn't get on with. So we, we got a shot of that as well. Um, and then I, I think when Caroline had the Vauxhall Corsa still... Uh, hang on, let me work this one out. 
I, yeah, I think when, when Caroline had the Vauxhall Corsa still, I bought myself um, from a friend of ours. Uh, and I know we bought from a friend before and it was a bad experience. At least I knew that this car had been looked after. And that's the car that I'm actually driving at the moment, which is my uh, very trusty um, Volkswagen Lupo, um, which was actually the Volkswagen equivalent of the Seat Arosa, I believe. The Seat Arosa came out first um, when the, the VAG group bought uh, Seat, they then created a Vauxhall version of the Eurosa called the Lupo um, and it is, it's a tiny car, it really is legally it can only fit four um, four people in it, two in the front, two in the back there's no room for a middle um, uh, a middle passenger in the back seat and we had that as a solo car for uh, quite a while, which meant that we couldn't travel anywhere as a family um, and I remember that Christmas we arranged to go down and see my parents uh, sorry, my mum and stepdad. Uh, and in order to do that, we had to hire a car so that we could um, we could actually go down there as a family. And we figured that you know, that is just no way of doing it. And I wanted to keep this car because it, it is incredibly, and I mean seriously, seriously economical. Um, it does about 70 miles to the gallon of diesel. Sorry, I didn't mention it was diesel. Um, the Lupo. And... Uh, yeah, amazing car. Uh, saved me an absolute fortune on uh, on fuel to have this car rather than the Almira. I think it was a petrol car, the Almira, and I think it was doing me something like 28 miles to the gallon. So it was costing me a fortune in fuel when I was doing <coughs> best part of 100 miles a day. <laughs> yeah, worked that one out. Um, so yeah we, we had to do something about the fact that we couldn't go around as a family in this car so we went to arr, 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 what's it called oh crumbs I can't remember the, the, the place it's a, uh, another car supermarket in um, a car people that was it a car people in Sheffield and had <clears throat> we were going for a look in quotes we went for a look close quotes um, to see what cars were available and and uh, what it was that we uh, we wanted to look for in a car so we took the whole family and we went around this uh, this car supermarket looking at cars and, oh there were some lovely cars there they really were uh, and they were kind of in the price range we wanted to pay um, and uh, I think we, we saw a, a Seat Ibiza which is um, sorry a Seat Leon which is quite a, a nice sort of small family car <coughs> and uh, there was a, a Peugeot 306 we saw and I think there might have actually been a Renault Megane uh, was it a Megane or a whatever the larger version a Renault Scenic um, that we saw that would have been uh, would have been really nice anyway when we were walking um, walking around we clocked these cars and we shortlisted some of these cars are you going to overtake this or not yes you are uh, we shortlisted some of these cars and we ended up with the Seat Leon which amusingly I'm actually following a Seat Leon at the moment um, Seat Leon a Renault began because um, we determined that the Scenic would have been too expensive and this Peugeot 306 so we went back and revisited them and uh, <coughs> looked at the, the, the prices the, the features you were getting for it the mileage we basically went through and totted up everything and um, we asked to look at two of the cars and I can't remember what the other car was 
but one of the cars we did ask to look at uh, in detail was the Peugeot 306 and uh, we all took, took, took turns in, in sitting in it Alex sat in it, the girl sat in it, Caroline sat in it, I sat in it and it felt comfortable but then we asked Alex to get out and he wouldn't he said I don't want to get out of this car so we kind of took that as a sign that maybe this is the car we wanted and it was an ex-motability um, <coughs> excuse me an ex-motability car motability is a scheme in the UK where um, people who have um, uh, motability issues um, they buy cars on their behalf and basically rent them out to um, to the people that need them uh, so it was a well kitted out car it was an incredibly low mileage car and that's very much the case with motability cars they tend to be low mileage and it kind of ticked every box so we asked for a test drive so both Caroline and I went and test drove this car uh, we went out for just uh, driving the local um, local uh, industrial estate roads um, and yeah, we both absolutely adored the car, so we ended up getting it. So that's where we are now. We have two cars. Me with my, <coughs> excuse me, I should have brought a glass of water, a glass of water, a bottle of water. Me with my Volkswagen Lupo, which I am driving at the moment to work. Um, I've been recording 32 minutes so far, and probably about a mile from work. So this worked out quite well. And Caroline, well, Caroline with the family car. So when we go places, we go in the family car. If it's long driving, I tend to drive, but uh, Caroline does enjoy driving the car as well. So there we go. Hope you enjoyed that. For the benefit of those of you listening on HPR, there will be full show notes with the details of all the cars um, and a rough chronology of the years we had them. If you're listening on Anchor, um, well, you're going to get this episode today at the time of recording, uh, 15th of September. Um, the guys at Hacker Public Radio will get it uh, later than that, depending on when the next available uh, slow show slot is. Which then raises the point that if you're not listening to Hacker Public Radio, you should be. Um, so, hackerpublicradio.org. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because for those that are actually on Hacker Public Radio, you already know about it because you're listening. Yay. Um, so, I suppose I should wind down. Um, because it's Friday, I will be uh, doing some planning this evening, or this afternoon this evening, for tonight's episode of the Bunkcast. Uh, episode 479 um, will be re- uh, will be broadcast live tonight. Uh, you're very welcome to join us if you're listening on um, on Anchor. Uh, join us tonight for episode 479 over at thebugcast.org slash live. If you're listening on... Ooh, nicely done. If you're listening on Hacker Public Radio, then what? Just go to thebugcast.org and find out when the next show is. It's probably going to be uh, on Friday. <laughs> um, I have been podcasting for... This is my 10th year of podcasting now. Um, released my first episode in March 2008. So in March 2018, which is only three months away, uh, we'll be celebrating both 10 years and also our 500th episode of the Bugcast. Uh, I am on other podcasts as well, um, historically more, but other podcasts have kind of like faded and um, ended up on hiatus. But uh, I'm a, now a regular on TuxJam, which you can find at tuxjam.othersite.network. Um, I am a regular contributor to CC Jam, 
Oh, that reminds me, I should have put a CC Jam out this week. Plum, my episode as well. Um, at ccjam.otherside.network. Um, I appeared on an episode, or two episodes, in fact, of the Ubuntu podcast, which I'm really, really quite psyched about. Um, hopefully they'll invite me back. Um, and other ones as well, including Hacker Public Radio and, of course, my, uh, my podcast here on Anchor which has become my audio blog. So I am now turning right into the estate. Um, so the, the drive this morning, whoa, let's stop on a roundabout. The drive this morning has taken me from um, Conisbury in South Yorkshire in the UK to New Ollerton in North Nottinghamshire. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's about 28 miles. Um, I recorded this at the point I started the car, so it's taken me 35 minutes, which actually isn't bad at all. Not bad at all. <coughs> it's kind of a slalom as I, as I get in here, sort of turn right, then left, then right, then left. But I am now, uh, now turning into our car park. Um, and my breakfast buddy is here. Um, on a Thursday, usually, uh, me and a colleague that I've, I've known for many, many years, we have uh, cooked breakfast here at the office. And uh, he wasn't in yesterday, so I had uh, cooked breakfast on my own. You know, Billy No Mates in the in the restaurant. Uh, so we said we would do breakfast on Friday as well. So he's in, and uh, I am now parked up. And I'm going to switch this off. I'm going to go in and I'm going to enjoy myself a rather cracking breakfast. So with that having been said, um, thank you very much for listening. If you got this far, please do leave a comment. Um, it'd be nice to know what cars you've got. If you're listening on Hacker Public Radio, why not record an episode uh, about your car yourself? Toodle-boo. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.